You're listening to the Bitcoin.com podcast. Our guest today is Nishal Shetty, CEO of WazirX. This episode is brought to you by the Turnio Block Card. Earn up to 6.38% back on every merchant purchase with no limits. Block Card is the easiest, cheapest, and best way to use your cryptocurrency to buy what you want, when you want at over 50 million merchants globally. Blockcard has no exchange fees, no deposit fees, and no transaction fees. You can sign up at getblockcard.com, deposit funds, and instantly get access to your virtual card. We'll mail you a physical card too. You can also sync it with Apple or Google Pay. If you hold cryptocurrency, then you need to get Blockcard today. Visit getblockcard.com. I'm your host, Dustin Planthold. Join us as we dive into the world of economics, politics, tech, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrency. For even more crypto-related news, sign up at news.bitcoin.com or follow us on Twitter at Bitcoin.com. Now let's bring on our guest. Nishal, welcome to the Bitcoin.com podcast. I'm Dustin Planthold. Let's dive in. Hey, Dustin. Uh, glad to be on the show. I'm doing good. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Absolutely. And where are you calling in from? What, what part of the world do you live in? I live in Mumbai, India. Uh, we are under a lockdown right now. I'm at home. Yeah, lockdown uh, in, in terms of have you been able to go anywhere? Or are you literally sticking within your, your walls and then going to get food and coming home? Yeah, we are allowed to go out for essentials, but... Uh, what I've been doing is ordering in whatever I could. Uh, we get uh, stuff from Amazon and stuff, uh, other websites uh, delivered to our home. So I rarely go out. It's safer that way right now. Yeah, I, I guess so. And, and tell me about the impact. What's happening right now in the economy in India? I mean, this lockdown must be hurting many of the business owners. Absolutely, especially all the offline businesses. Because the online businesses, I would say, are still uh, somewhat uh, padded from this whole uh, uh, lockdown, but uh, offline businesses, the manufacturing units, especially the laborers, the working classes, the daily wage earners, I think those are the most affected here in India. And uh, right now, fortunately, we are look, seeing an easing of the lockdown, where some pa ma major parts of India, people are allowed to go out in, uh, uh, you know, during a particular time of the day. But in Mumbai, where I am, we have the highest cases right now. So most of us are still under a lockdown. And in terms of, like, do they have an expectation of when things are going to open back up? Are they giving you any sort of education on that, or are they making this up as they go? Uh, no, I think, to be honest, uh, everyone's, uh, you know, just playing it along right now. Uh, and you, you can't expect anything else because uh, it's, Who's to say what is going to happen? We, uh, India was one of those countries which actually took a swift decision of going for a lockdown when we just had 500 cases in the country. But despite uh, doing a nationwide lockdown, we've now crossed, I think, about 200 or 250,000 cases. And that was despite being in the lockdown. Wow. So it's very hard to say when things will ease out. Wow, that's, that's quite remarkable. My son and I were watching a uh, TV show here in the United States on uh, Animal Planet, and they were talking about the wildlife. I mean, India is known to have many wild, large animals. I mean, tigers, lions, snow leopards. Have you ever seen any of these, Nishal? Uh, a, a couple of times when I was a kid, uh, 
not after that. This was when you know we had to do some long road trips. But what I've been hearing now is in the lockdown, there have been more sightings of uh, uh, animals in areas which are closer to the jungle. Uh, mostly because humans, if they don't see humans around them, they tend to venture out, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the the monkeys, are, are you, again, I this is stuff I get to see on TV, of the wild packs of monkeys. Have you seen them roam the neighborhood yet? Uh, not not in the city, but uh, if you go towards, um, you know, more remote areas, you would definitely uh, be able to see them now. Yeah, all right. So digging into the world of politics, uh, talk about that. I mean, right now there there seems to be People are kind of getting frustrated, you know, and, and this thing called cryptocurrency is supposed to be the bridge. Talk about crypto and politics. What's happening in that world? Are the two starting to come together? Not yet. Um, but the good thing is, while they're not starting to come together, they're also not at, uh, you know, at a place where they're clashing with each other. It's more, uh, I would say, uh, disconnected, where the government hasn't really uh, come out with any formal uh, positive or negative uh, you know, uh, uh, mindsets around crypto right now. The only negative that has happened in India, which is very popular amongst everyone, is the banking ban that happened. That was by our central bank, not by the government. But yeah, I think uh, right now we are still some time away before the government steps in with their own point of views on crypto. And why do you think, are, are they against cryptocurrency are they afraid of it or they they just don't know i mean what do you think is causing it to not be embraced i think it's just too early for them because uh, look at the regulatory environment globally it's not just in india but anywhere in the world there are only a few countries which have really um, wholeheartedly embraced crypto regulation the other countries are still debating and discussing I, I think that's one of the biggest reasons why uh, even in India, that it's not seen like an immediate need. Uh, the other is also the fact that uh, the last two years of the banking ban that we've had, we've had a very negative impact on the ecosystem where uh, we have uh, less understanding and knowledge of crypto uh, than we should have ideally had. Um, all because there were no new in the startups coming up during the banking ban here. So I think the next 12 to 18 months is going to be very, very interesting where uh, uh, since the ban is lifted now, I think we'll see more startups coming, which eventually the government will start realizing that there's an entire industry uh, being formed. And then they will realize they should start talking to the uh, sector and then, you know, understand and build the right kind of regulation. It's going to take time, but I think the next 12 to 18 months is going to be very, very interesting in India for crypto. That's fascinating. And there's also a fund that, that you've put together to help entrepreneurs that are looking to build within the, the crypto space. Talk about that. Absolutely. So it's a $50 million uh, fund, which is jointly by Bazirex and Binance. Um, we have contributed WRX, which is our exchange token, and BNB, which is the Binance exchange token. Now, a bit of a background, like I said before, the banking ban in India has had a very negative effect on the ecosystem here. Uh, you haven't seen any new startups coming up in the crypto space, largely because uh, no entrepreneur is going to start up if uh, no, when they know that they won't get a bank account to run their company and uh, their business. Right. So now that the banking ban was lifted, we knew that good times are going to come, but you know, Everyone needs a push. And uh, uh, 
what we see is startups need capital and capital usually comes from vcs but because of the last two years uh, the vcs are going to be in sort of maintaining a status quo of not investing in the sector and they would want to see some movement in the space so we decided that it would be better since we were deep into the ecosystem we understand crypto and india why not launch our own fund the idea was not to become a vc but to build an e- entire ecosystem here in india b- by bootstrapping it uh, so this fund we see this as like the bootstrapping of crypto in india uh, kind of a fund for us with the hope that larger vcs will then follow uh, once they see that there's movement in the country there are investments in the country there are new startups and entrepreneurs in a building on a bit for crypto or blockchain then i'm pretty sure the larger vcs will also join in uh, which is the hope because then we can grow the sector even faster wow and tell me some of the projects right now that you guys have actively funded like what are some of the more unique ones that you say dustin wow th- this idea this was a good one so i can't name them because we haven't announced anything yet uh, it's just been what two two and a half months since we announced the fund um but i'm seeing quite a few interesting projects uh, largely in the um, uh, there are quite a few defi projects coming out from india more in the i would say the lending uh, segment and then there are remittances people are trying to crack remittances because india is one of those la- one of the largest uh, countries that re- receives uh, remittances so people are trying to uh, you know get into that then there are uh, blockchain specific projects which are trying to uh, build for the government making uh, data maybe more transparent or uh, making it easier for uh, different government um, i would say departments to interact with each other through the use of blockchain so uh, quite a variety of uh, ideas are cropping up to be honest yeah it sounds like there, there's a lot of activity and and so you got into crypto when? Like, tell me the beginning, because this is not your first business. I mean, you had started a company before this. Yeah, uh, my, uh, I think my uh, introduction to crypto happened very, very early. This was uh, 2009 with, when the Bitcoin was launched. I think maybe a few months after that, maybe three, six months after that, because I was deep into the whole crypto, uh, uh, the whole tech ecosystem. So I used to be one of those guys, you know, Uh, whatever new comes let's try it out so i remember uh, try, uh, reading about bitcoin and trying to mine it on my local uh, pc and uh, then i forgot about it because it was like you know just another tech you try it out and then you're like fine let's move on and you go on to other things so that's what happened to me that was my first uh, interaction with bitcoin and then in 2012 is when uh, 2012 or 2013 when a lot of uh, bitcoin related uh, wallets started coming up and i was one of those early users in a few of these early wallets of bitcoin where i started uh, testing them out sending bitcoins to my friends just for fun uh, that happened then again i forgot about it you know after a while uh, because it seemed okay but i i had a startup that i was running wow. uh, eventually in 2017 uh, is when i got really drawn into crypto in a way where i've not been able to get out of it uh there's a back story to why i got into uh, uh crypto in 2017 uh do you want to uh, hear about that i do i want to know how did you get in because everybody has a story of how they got into this space or how they even started investing in the space i'd like to hear yours sure so uh here's a back story uh i my first startup before was erex was uh, crowdfire which is a social media management app 
but it was not always a social media management app it was more a social media growth app what that meant was we were catering to all the creators around the world creators like youtubers bloggers podcasters um, everyone who was an individual trying to do something on their own our objective and our mission at crowdfire was we will help them reach their audiences and how do you help these people reach their audiences is by helping them grow on all of these social networks like twitter instagram and facebook so we had these amazing set of features that would help all these creators organically grow on social networks this was way back in 2010 that we launched it and all of these social networks also knew that we were building they appreciated we were we used to like you know submit bug reports to these social networks when there were bugs in their apis and they were everything was going well but fast forward to 2017 these social networks which uh, was small had become large uh, their motives had changed from just being uh, you know a platform for people to making revenues and profits for themselves so what changed is they started uh, pulling off many of the apis that we had uh, uh, access to and uh, while they cited a lot of uh, reasons for doing that uh, if you were deep into this uh, api ecosystem of social networks you will realize that the only reason they would cut off apis is if it uh, comes in the way of them making money and they make the most money when they can sell you uh, a way to grow yourself if mm. you see the monetization model of a lot of these large uh, uh, social network is to help you grow your network as a brand as an advertiser whatever you pay them they help you grow by putting you in front of more people so they do not want you to grow organically easily and that is why we had to pivot when they started pulling off these apis into a social media management app not a social media growth app but when this was happening i realized one very important uh, thing that no matter what you do these centralized um entities which say that they're building and fostering a developer ecosystem they're not really doing that they're all building it for pure profits and they will destroy the ecosystem or change or twist it and make you change your company's direction on the way it suits them so this led me to the whole world of decentralization so when this was happening and defining decentralization and for the people out there that don't know the term decentralization or, or defi can you walk us through that Sure. Um, so let's let's take uh, Twitter for example. You, if uh, now Twitter today has its own servers in their own, um, um, you know, data data farms, and uh, they are the ones who control those servers. If Twitter wants today, they can shut down those servers and say no one can use Twitter anymore. Or they could say out of the hundred people, maybe ten people can use Twitter, and the other ninety cannot. And Twitter can do that. Uh, but in a decentralized world. what can ha- what would happen is if twitter was to build a decentralized twitter even twitter themselves cannot say that 10 people could use it and 90 cannot because twitter wouldn't control it the servers would not be under the control of the of twitter the company it would be more or less managed by anyone in the world who wanted to participate uh, i am just giving a very dumbed down version no, of what decentralization and decentralization yeah so but that's uh, that's how i see as a developer you know uh does one single entity have control uh, in a decentralized world no in a centralized world yes uh so yeah so moving from there i realized that there's a world of decentralization what does that mean is the thing that happened to us which is uh, a single company telling us you cannot do this you cannot do that 
we wanted to move to a world where once we build a product and if people love it, there should not be a third party coming in and saying you cannot do this and that on top of these platforms. And that's where we, uh, you know, happen to get into blockchain and realize you could actually build something and not worry about some big brother coming in and telling, hey, you cannot build it this way or you cannot build it that way. You are actually free to build it the way you think is right. And if there are people who love what you build, they will continue to use it forever. So, yeah, that's how my journey began into wow. the decent flags. Well, you know, what's interesting that there there is a belief by many people that are not in crypto or once they get into crypto that that all of us are somehow anti-government or that we are anarchists, which is so far from the truth, or at least speaking for myself, of the, no, I embrace technology. I want to make things faster. I want things to get to get easier. I want the the cost for remittances to, to go down, that there is so much good in this space. Isn't there, Nishal? Absolutely. See, it's all narratives. Uh, and, you know, the world is not going to be zero and one. Uh, similarly, so your beliefs are also not going to be just one set of beliefs. Uh, like, you know, what you said about your belief in this, um, the reason I got into this, it was not about uh, going against government. It was about helping people. It was about uh, building what you believe people want without having someone to interfere and tell you not to do this. Um, it, it's just about progress. I think uh, I see decentralization as the next step of uh, evolution uh, for the online world. And why would you, and you look at tech, technology always gets better. So why would you want to be in an old world ecosystem when you can build a new world? That's how I see this and that's how I, I'm so excited about this space. Yeah, no, it, it's great perspective. You know, talking about the, the world of banking and the fees that many of these large corporate national banks charge around the world, that with the with now the technology behind, you know, with blockchain, that you can now take the cost down considerably on these transactions. So talk us through that. I mean, traditional banking systems, they charge a fee, right? And now the world of crypto enters. What is the difference in, in fee structure? I mean, is it significantly different or tell us about that? I think it's a, it's not just one factor. It's not just the fees. Fees is one, definitely one factor, but it's a combination of things. Uh, uh, so when you say fees, Let's say we are talking about cost, but uh, there's also accessibility, uh, you know, or the ease of access. Uh, I think that's another factor when you were to compare traditional and your decent class for uh, the uh, the other stuff is uh, uh, your time, the time taken to do certain things in the traditional world versus this. So let's take each of these three uh, costs, like you said, because financial institutions are uh, sort of your middlemen in uh, the whole transaction, they're definitely going to keep whatever they can. And when you think of fees, the the funny thing is there are two types of fees. You know, fees that you think you're paying and the fees you're actually paying. Uh, what I mean by that is uh, there's always slippage in between. So while someone might say that, hey, I'm just going to charge you $1, uh, but maybe you're ultimately paying maybe 5 or $7 for a transaction unknowingly. Uh, and this is especially true when you do foreign exchanges. When you send dollars from uh, US to India and uh, somebody tells you, hey, the rate for $1 is, let's say, 74 rupees, uh, you really do not know. Is it really 74 rupees or is it really 77 rupees? Because someone might be eating up a margin in between hmm. without you ever knowing. As a, especially as a retail user, I don't think retail ever understands all these slippages in between. 
So I think there are these cost factors. The second is ease of use. Now think about the traditional, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about the unbanked. Why does that exist? Is because the traditional financial systems have failed to really uh, get market adoption. They failed to reach every nook and corner of this world. And this is where, again, I believe that the only way to reach every nook and corner of the world is through tech, not through physical infrastructure, which finance, traditional finance requires. You always require a physical infrastructure of a bank in a uh, village to be able to service that sector. But when it comes to pure tech, like you know your blockchain, you don't need anything except internet. And internet is getting ubiquitous. It's reaching everywhere. So I think ease of accessibility is going to be the is one of the most important aspects out here, which is why I believe so much in the blockchain case. The third is time. Whenever there is a, I think we have all experienced this in not just in finance but in your regular world. If you and me are talking, uh, it's quick. But if I had to talk to you through a another person in between, uh, think of the time delay that will happen. Think of the miscommunication that can happen. And that is what traditional financial systems are. To transact, there is always a middleman. And it's going to take a longer time to do that. As against peer-to-peer -peer finance, which is blockchain and crypto, where we're doing it just between me and you. And that's going to be, that's so much more faster. So when you combine these three advantages, you realize that what we have, what we see, the existing traditional system is just such a, I would say an outdated uh, financial uh, uh, world that exists. And you have such an amazing uh, uh, technically advanced infrastructure being built out. So what happens to the world in the next five to 10 years is going to be so much more exciting. Yeah, it sounds like there's lots of amazing things. Um, and one of the other areas, you know, when we look at traditional, the traditional system, so banking, fiat, the United Nations a couple of years back put out a report that said over five, between 430, 450 billion, upwards of $650 billion a year uh, it is being used by criminal gangs for drug traffic or uh, um, for, for drugs, some sort of trafficking. That the, the world of cryptocurrency right now is $260 billion. And yet there are many people around the world that look at this space and they say, well, it's all full of bad people. And I go, well, but the dollars or currencies around the world have been used for nefarious acts for, let me go back to Pablo Escobar. His net worth was $30 billion, just his alone. <laughs> that, that there seems to be this divide where you have people picking on this space and looking down on it many times, where it actually, there's more transparency on the blockchain, is there not, than just handing somebody cash under a table? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, so this is a, this is the thing about uh, anything which is, uh, I would say, challenging the status quo. When, when you challenge the status quo, uh, a majority of the people will not accept it. And the first reaction would be to fight it to find flaws in it. And that's exactly what is happening out here. Uh, it's, it's completely normal. I'm, I'm going about my life, however inefficient it be. It's a status quo which makes me comfortable, which makes me feel safe, even though it is not. Uh, and then you present me with a solution which might make life better, but it's going to challenge my status quo. I have to get out of my comfort zone and try this out. So the first reaction that I would have is saying, oh, no, that's not amazing. That's not good. Uh, who's going to use it? No one is going to use it. And this happens to everything. I, I'll give you my and my learning. This comes from my own experience. Uh, way back, this was... Uh, 
uh, I think early days of the internet in India, and uh, there was an e-commerce uh, website, and this was the first time ever. I was still in school. I tried to order something online, and uh, I ordered it. Uh, I think I ordered a wallet, uh, thinking of a certain brand, but the company sent me a fake wallet. So my first reaction was that online is scam, and I'm never going to buy anything online ever again. Hmm. Uh, you know, because somehow I got out of my status quo of not going to an offline store and buy. I somehow convinced myself I should try buying online. And what happened? Somebody scammed me and sent me a fake product. So my reaction was, let's just go back to the you know usual world and let's just be there. But eventually, what has happened today? What we spoke just some time back, I told you the funny thing that I order everything online. And I'm not stepping out of my house because I'm under a lockdown. So you see the difference that has happened in the way we uh, do transactions today. The same thing is going to happen to crypto. So all these talks about uh, crypto being used by criminals and stuff is really just excuses to not let go of the status quo. Though people might deep down, if they were to sit and analyze, they will realize, uh, you know, think of this. It's not just criminals. You also hear about scalability. People say, oh, it's not going to scale. Oh, it's not here. Tell me an innovative tech that has failed because it could not scale. You will not have an answer. Tech always scales. Tech always wins, eventually. Wow. So you just need patience. You know, you just have to play it out. Yeah, and it also takes the, the aspect of talking it out, you know, talking it through or, or having these sorts of dialogues because there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of FUD that is spread by people who are against uh, the, the world of cryptocurrency. I mean, I had a conversation yesterday uh, with a friend of mine, uh, a billionaire. He is 100% against crypto. He doesn't believe in it. He thinks it has no place. It has no future. And I think it's quite remarkable that, that there is this mindset among the, the elite or the super, super excess, successful that, that this new thing, well, it just doesn't have legs or it has no use case. Talk about use case because... You've got people that are, um, they're investors. So I like to call it as a digital asset. You know, you're a digital asset investor into a new asset class. But the actual use case behind it, isn't there, isn't there something you can do with it? I mean, once you, once you have a token or a coin, isn't there something more? See, I think uh, this again, you know, we think about use cases and we think about what's the definition of a use case ultimately. Uh, I would say, you know, the fact that I can today hold a, a value digitally, I think that's the biggest use case that has ever happened. And this digital value is not defined or assigned by a centralized authority. I don't, I don't think I've seen a better use case of the internet than being able to hold value. And the second use case is I can transfer this value to anyone right away, anywhere in the world. You tell me, do you, did you have that before 2009? No. Could you transfer value directly from you to someone else? Not in seconds. Instantly. Nope. Not at exactly. all. Exactly. And and peer to peer, never. Are you? I wouldn't trust anyone to send me, you know, direct money, right? Right. But now I can. So I I don't see why do we have to think about and. Of course, there are so many more blockchains and each blockchain is going to build something because how I see this is we are still building out the infrastructure and the infrastructure needs, let's say, 20 different things for us to eventually have those, you know, the, the mindset of a use case today is that I need something tangible like I, I use 
Facebook, that's a use case of the internet. That's the thought right now. Uh, but that's because internet has had the time to evolve. The underlying cables had to be laid first. Then someone had to build uh, servers. Then someone had to build, um, you know, languages to program your website. That's when finally today we all have these uh, centralized apps in our hands. Similarly, in the decentralized world, all of these building blocks have to be built up. And this is where all those hundreds of cryptocurrency companies today are trying to do. Uh, many will fail, many will succeed. And eventually, we will see that uh, a day will come when developers will never ever think about building centralized apps. They will directly only build apps. And centralized apps would be like so, you know, old school. And they'll be like, they'll laugh at you. If you say that I'm going to build on my own server and going to host it somewhere and going to manage it, people will laugh at you. They'll be like, you just write your code and just put it out. Why do you have to worry about scalability, accessibility or anything? It's, it's just going to run after that. Just think of that. It's so amazing. Yeah, it, it really is. And I look at this space from, from my lens, now being in it myself for a couple of years, and I find that it really has united people from all over the globe. I mean, from all walks of life, from different education levels, different uh, uh, cultural backgrounds, different religions, that it has been a way for us to connect each other. And, and I look at, well, what would happen five years, 10 years, 20 years, that in the current system, when you have thousands upon thousands, maybe even 10,000 banks around the world, that everybody seems to be disconnected, yet cryptocurrency allows them to immediately be connected in a matter of seconds or, or minutes. And that is a technology that should be embraced, a technology that world governments and uh, investors alike should say, how do I help support this ecosystem? How do I help build something that we will then leave to, to the next generation and leave this world far better than the way we found it? Yeah, that's a very, very good point that you raised. And, uh, you know, this is something that I keep uh, talking about a lot is uh, look at what the Internet did. Uh, when you talk about, uh, you know, it has removed the disparity of information. Before the Internet, our information was very localized. Where you lived is where you got the information. Uh, and that was only, uh, you know, probably a certain geography that you would be able to maybe uh, X kilometers or X miles radius is what you got the information from. Uh, what did the internet do? It broke all those geographic barriers and allowed you to get information about anything, anywhere in the world, which is why you are so much more aware about what is happening around the world rather than just what is happening in your radius. And that was the magic of the internet. Break down the walls of information. Now, what is blockchain and crypto doing? It is doing something very similar to the walls of value or money. Today, if you look at it, your capital, your access to money and everything is still geographically bound. Uh, I'll give you a simple example. If you have to take a loan in your country, you have an X percentage of interest that you have to pay. If I have to take a loan in my country, I have to pay and probably assuming you're in one of the developed countries and I'll have and me in a developing country, I'll have to pay 2X or 3X or even 4, 5X of the amount that you would pay as interest. Hmm. What is this? This is disparity. This is disparity. It's this thievery. Is, uh, it's, it, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So, so how do you break those barriers? How do you make it so that anyone anywhere in the world gets the same access to capital as everyone else? The way today information is available to everyone. Doesn't matter what part of the world you are in. 
I think that is where blockchain and crypto is going to make a difference because it is breaking all these geographic walls and boundaries that have been set. So when you talk about uniting people and the world, this is definitely the second level of you know unification that is happening. Absolutely. And I find it is a very safe and effective way to, in essence, protest, to, to say that we want to be a part of a solution. We want the system to be better. We want it to be fixed. We want people to the unbanked to be uh, to be served the the those that are in poverty for them to get that dollar that was transferred to them and not get seventy seven cents and we want to make sure that everybody has access to their to data. I mean the blockchain, as you know, with many of the other projects or many of the projects out there, uh, that the future of blockchain it's opened the door to to an you know, innumerable amount of opportunities and, and these things should be embraced. And to anybody out there that will end up listening to this, that instead of looking at the problems of the things that you don't like about crypto or that you don't like about this world of digital assets, be part of the solution. Then how can you improve it? How can you add to the ecosystem? What can you do to help make it better? Uh, As you know, around the world, there's protesters right now. There's also looters. So there are protesters that want to tell their voice of, I'm frustrated. I I want things to be improved. We, We want to fix the system. And I look at what you're doing at WizirX, that you're embracing technology, you're, you're embracing humanity, and you're bringing people together. And I have a lot of respect for you that, Nichelle. Thanks a lot for that. And yeah, you know, I think uh, what you, the way you put it across, all of us, we could either look at problems and just say that, you know, there's no progress going to happen, or we could look at problems and say, that's an opportunity for me to jump in and fix it. Uh, uh, and you know, you never know. Uh, fix, fix these problems, and you might just end up building the next billion-dollar company. So, I, I, and if you want help, there, there is there is enough people providing you capital today. Well, so, I, if you're looking yeah. at the yeah, yeah, if you're looking at the blockchain world and saying there are uh, problems, I think that those are opportunities. It's so amazing there are problems. Come and solve it. Absol- Nothing better than that. Absolutely, and I and just kind of here now. Final words in closing. To anybody out there that you're looking at this space and you see the problems, there is an amazing fund that is supported by Nishal that is set aside for innovation, for technology. Submit your ideas. I think that this could be improved if we did X, and then uh, you, you guys can take a look at it. Isn't that, isn't that correct? Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. All right. Well, any uh, final thoughts, final words you have to those around the world? They're going to hear this. Yeah, I, I think all I want to say is uh, it's very rare in our lifetime we get the opportunity to be at the early stage of something revolutionary. And blockchain and crypto is that opportunity for at least our generation. So embrace it, get in, because 10, 20, 10, 15 years from now, when you look back, you don't want to be saying that, you know, you were at the middle of it, but you did not uh, really participate. You do not want to do that. So I think now is the best time to get involved, start building, start understanding, learning, do whatever you can, but make sure that you are in the blockchain and crypto space. Wonderful. Thank you again, Nishal. And thank you for joining us on the Bitcoin.com podcast. Thanks a lot, Dustin, for having me on the show. You've listened to another episode of the Bitcoin.com podcast. Subscribe at news.bitcoin.com, where your journey begins.